Hey, Jen, want to talk about leftovers? Oh, honey, I don't think the audience wants to hear about dinner last night. Great. Today we are sharing a handful of segments from live Q&A sessions that we haven't put into previous episodes yet. So fire up the microwave and let's do it. to the Intimate Covenant Podcast, where we believe the Bible and great married sex both belong on your kitchen table. That's right, we're talking about holy, covenant-bound, intimate relationships with hot sex. We're Matt and Jen, founders of Intimate Covenant. We offer biblical teaching and resources to help married couples achieve a fuller relationship and an extraordinary sex life. For more information, visit our website, IntimateCovenant.com. Welcome, friends. Welcome, and happy Memorial Day. Indeed, happy Memorial Day. Hope that you are enjoying time with family on your Memorial Day and taking a moment to remember those who have lost their lives for our country, the families of those people um, that have lost their lives, and just being grateful for the country that we have. Indeed, and if you woke up early on Memorial Day, hoping to jump right into this week's new episode. <laughs> We're sorry. Yeah, you you weren't able to do that because recording and processing this episode got a little delayed for a number of reasons. Number one, Matt lost his voice over the weekend. <laughs> so there was not going to be an episode uh, until uh, just really in the last 24 hours I was able to yes. actually speak uh, in an understandable manner. We all know, Matt, that I will not be doing this podcast <laughs> alone. <laughs> and then to top it off, this morning we woke up to a neighborhood power outage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that set us back even further. Uh, so nevertheless, uh, here we are. And uh, if you're hearing us now, it means we finally got everything recorded, processed, yep. and uploaded. So we are definitely glad that you have joined us. Thank you for joining us for this Memorial Day episode. That's right. And as you gathered from the introduction, we have some leftovers for, for you. But, but but these are the good kind. <laughs> right. Not everybody loves leftovers, uh, um, some of our family members included. <laughs> uh, but uh, some of us love leftovers, and hopefully these are leftovers that I think are the good kind. That's right. We, in our Q&A sessions at various live events, we typically answer anonymous questions from the audience for really about an hour or so. Sometimes longer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that means that we always have way more than we can actually share in a podcast episode. At least a single episode. Yeah. So uh, we've saved some of those. And... Um, you know, at various times, various reasons why we put some questions in some episodes and not in others. But uh, these are some of the questions and responses that we had left over. So uh, that means that we have some for you. But first, you know who would never serve you leftovers when it comes to personal attention and concern for building your family's financial security and future? Ooh, good question, Matt. I do know the answer to that. Open Door Financial Advisors. That's right. And Derek at Open Door Financial Advisors, they are there to help you always with fresh advice. (laughs) Yeah, www.opendoorfa.com. Open Door helps clients solve their current financial challenges and 
build for the future. Uh, regardless of what your current circumstances are, whether you need help with just cash flow management or paying off some debt or figuring out how much to save or where to save it or how to save it and how to invest and anything else that money touches in your life, uh, Open Door Financial Advisors is capable, more than capable, right. of helping you deal with that. And, and again, you know, whether you are in the middle class. Right. Or whether you have a lot of savings or you have a little or you're young or you're old. Derek Finley and Open Door Financial Advisors can help you and they'll help you guide your financial life while keeping an eye on the eternal destination ahead. My favorite thing about Derek with Open Door Financial Advisors is his slogan, where faith meets finances. Yeah. So check out Derek at Open Door. Uh, fa.com again open door financial advisors we are proud and thankful for uh, their sponsorship of the podcast so now enjoy our q a leftovers on this memorial day do you have any specific tips or techniques on training yourself to stop defaulting to logistic conversations and encourage emotionally connective conversations great question uh, thoughtful question. Um, the answer is yes, we do. Uh, th- there are a lot of different tools for this. Um, one, I-, I think one of the simplest and easiest tools for you is to invest in a deck of conversation cards. Um, almost everybody makes these ne- these days. If you want specific resources, we can provide those, but um, you can go to Gottman.com. You can go to Ultimate Ultimate Intimacy, Intimacy is another group. Um, They have an app um, and they also have physical cards that you can purchase that are just conversation starters. And they're questions that are beyond, like, you know, what are we doing for dinner tomorrow? Mm -hmm. They are questions that just invite emotional exploration of each other. And there also have cards that have sexual topics as well, again, to help stimulate and, and introduce topics of conversation that are non-threatening. So one thing we frequently do is we take a handful of these cards with us on date night. And we might go through 10 cards in one evening. We might only go through one card because often having that, that question can spur the conversation in a way that you wouldn't have maybe had the conversation without the aid of that question. Um, And so that can be a great way to keep that conversation going. I will say the more you practice this, the easier it becomes. When you start learning how to dig into being curious about your spouse, asking the questions, and learning to listen to one another and wanting to know one another continually, um, it becomes easier to do this. And I'll tell you, even if you ever only buy one deck of like 50 cards in your lifetime, you will be able to have meaningful conversation even if you go through that deck 500 times because I'll tell you, every time you ask the question, you're going to get a different answer because you're a different person and your spouse is a different person and you've had different experiences in that in that time. Uh, it is a, it, it's a meaningful way to have meaningful conversations. Now, I think a part of this is often we default to logistics conversations because we're scared to be vulnerable. Mm. And so you've got to lean into why am I afraid to be known? 
Maybe why am I afraid to know my spouse? So often it's so much easier to just have those logistics conversations because there's a vulnerability that's required. Maybe there's been trust that's been broken and needs to be rebuilt. But you're not going to rebuild it in the silence. You're going to be rebuilding that when you will, are willing to start talking to one another. How can you differentiate between withdrawal as a responder and an actual medical lack of drive? And how do you deal with the la- and how do you deal with that lack of drive? That's a great question. Be willing to go to your doctor. Get your hormones checked. Go to your doctor, and if your doctor won't talk to you about your sex drive, go to another doctor. That's need, what they're there for. You need a better doctor if they won't talk to you about your sexual health. But, yes, I, I, that said, I, I think it's also important to, to acknowledge that lack of drive, one of the least common lacks of drives is physical mm-hmm. or hormonal. That's rarely the cause. Sometimes it is. It's rarely the cause, though. More often, lack of drive is due to stress or uh, other or relationship issues. Now, sometimes it's hormonal or medical, and there may so, be so health start, problems. Start with ruling that out. Figure that out. Yeah. But then look at your whole life as a whole. Now, it's super important to recognize that sexual drive is a use it or lose it phenomenon for most women. If you are not having regular orgasms, you're not getting regular doses of oxytocin, your body just kind of checks out. So sometimes the answer is you have to make the choice to check back in. And I know that's hard when you're sitting in a place of, I just don't want to have sex. So do the work to recognize, do I not want to have sex because maybe something's going on in my body? Do I not want to have sex because of my relationship? Do I not want to have sex because sex doesn't feel good? If it hurts, stop. Figure that out. Don't keep doing something that hurts. But if you're not having regular sex, your body is programmed to just say, eh. So if you're just waiting for something magically to happen to make you want to have sex again, probably not going to happen. And that said, it's not necessarily even a problem if you don't have spontaneous desire. No. That may not necessarily even be your job. You don't have to be the one who wants it just spontaneously. Again, most women would not say, I want to have sex until they are 20 minutes in to some kind of sexual play. You're not broken. Most women are made to be responders. That is okay. Recognize the beauty of the response and stop trying to be a pursuer. Stop trying to have spontaneous drive. Yeah, it's perfectly fine if just one of you is the initiator and the pursuer. That's kind of how it usually works. And that means you're working normally. How can I overcome shame in my physical appearance that hinders me from fully giving myself to and enjoying physical intimacy with my spouse? I appreciate this question and I'm gonna let you all know that this question is asked in some form every single place we go to.
this is a, a, a problem amongst so, so many of us, and usually wives, although not just, this is not just a wife problem. But we are bombarded daily, men and women, with being told what beauty is. We're especially bombarded with the message of what sexy is. And it all revolves around a certain body type, body shape, set of numbers. And I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you that sexy has nothing to do with body numbers. It has everything to do with your mindset. You can choose how much power you're giving to Satan. Because he is the one who is trying to get you to decide that he gets to define beauty. When you listen to him, you're giving him power. And you're allowing him to rob you of the very thing that God said, you, I love you so much, I am giving you this beautiful, precious, perfect gift with your beloved. Don't give Satan the power to rob you of enjoying what God has given to you. I think it's important, that, and the, the person who asked this question even uses the term shame. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your use of that language, especially in light of how we have used that language today. But I, I think something that's really important when I am feeling shame over something, it is critical to first recognize where is the shame coming from because shame is the feeling that I am not living up to a particular standard. The question then to ask myself is am I is do I have shame because I am not living up to God's standard or is it to some other standard that I am failing? And if it's not God's standard, then my shame is illegitimate. My shame is unnecessary. If, if my shame is because of man's standard or someone else's standard or whatever other, wherever place that standard might be, then I have put more value in that standard than in God's standard. And guess what that's called in the Bible? Idolatry. You want to know what? Idolatry is not falling down and worshiping wooden statues. Idolatry, I mean, yes, it is, but... More applicable today, idolatry is is bowing down to standards that God did not design. So yes, it's a problem. It, it is a it's a huge problem. Women struggle with this primarily. Men, we struggle with our own standards that are not biblical and not godly and not holy. We all have shame from sources that we don't need to have shame over. Sometimes that's where it has to start. Where is the shame coming from and whose standards am I bowing down to? Now, because this question is most often asked by a woman, I'll speak to it um, from that way. And, And mostly I want to speak to husbands because you play a huge role in helping her believe that she is beautiful. You are the loudest voice 
If you use your voice correctly, you can be the loudest voice. She has a lot of voices telling her otherwise. But it is your job to proclaim her beauty. And that's not just the physical, what you're seeing, but proclaim her beauty in every way. Help her know that you see her as beautiful in every way. Especially she needs to know that you see her as beautiful today. Not the woman you married 20 years ago. Not who you hope she'll be when she's 15 pounds lighter. But that you see beauty today and what's before you. And you get to determine that, men. You get to decide what is beautiful. And God has commanded you to find your beloved beautiful. Yeah, I, I can't say it better than that. But uh, husbands, you, you, you have a big part to play in this. It's not your problem to get over, but you have a big role to play. And your wife knows what, she, what you think of her. She knows what you think of her body. Whether you use the actual words or not, she knows. What can I personally do to keep striving toward emotional and spiritual intimacy when my husband is not interested in implementing practical ways to do such? I love this question, clearly from the standpoint of a wife, and it is interesting to me that this wife is asking, how do I strive towards emotional and spiritual intimacy with my husband? She's not asking, how do I strive towards physical intimacy? Now, I'm having to suppose a lot in just this question, but here's what I'm going to say. If you're trying to have emotional and spiritual intimacy with your husband outside of physical intimacy, it will not work because they are all meant to go together. And so you cannot have emotional intimacy with your husband, but say sex is off the table. That is not how God intended you to work, your husband to work, or your marriage work. Because it is within physical intimacy that your husband is able to open up emotionally. Because the truth is, he doesn't want sex. He wants connection with you. Sex is often a man's route to emotional connection. So number one, how's your sex life? Because if that's not working, then that could be part of what's going on. Now, maybe you're a wife who's happy and willing to be having sex and you're still feeling like you're missing that emotional and spiritual component with your husband. Tell him that. I know that seems like a simple cop-out answer, but have the conversation. But have the conversation from the standpoint of this is what it would look like to me. Here's what I'm asking for. But then here's what I'm willing to do to change me to achieve this for us. Because if you're waiting for your spouse to fix himself in order for your marriage to be fixed, you're missing it. So what are you doing to seek emotional connection? Now, might your efforts be rejected? They might. So call them out on that. Don't just take it. That's not submission. Submission is not suffering in silence. So be willing to say that. That hurts. 
When I ask a question and you don't answer it, here's what I feel. You probably didn't intend that to happen, but I need you to know me. And, yeah. and I would say, I mean, the, the wife is asking, what can I do to get my husband to do something else? And the short answer is nothing. You can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. That's just the hard reality of living with other people. I don't mean to be just like totally dismissive of the question, but ultimately we could ask this question a million ways. What, what can I do to get my wife to have more sex with me? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe nothing would change that. But what my job is, is to work on my side of the equation. And that is, if I want more emotional or spiritual connection in my relationship, then I'm the one that's going to need to inject that. If I, need, if I want more spirituality in our relationship, then I'm going to have to be the one to initiate a prayer. Or I'm going to be the one to have to suggest the workbook or the, the devotional. Or I'm going to have to be the one to start reading scripture more. I'm going to have to be the one to take the initiative to do that. If that's what I want in my marriage and I think that's what my marriage needs, then I'm going to have to be the one to do it. Now, maybe my spouse will be inspired by my actions to come alongside there are definitely good ways and poor ways for me to invite my spouse to come alongside that. But ultimately, it's up to me to do what I can do. I can only inspire. I cannot require. What are the limits of appropriate conversations about sex and intimacy with other Christian friends? Well, here we are. <laughs> We've well, had a lot of conversations in this room that you probably weren't expecting to have, right? <laughs> I think one place to start with this, though, is actually to use the Song of Songs as somewhat of a model of what kind of language is appropriate. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it is entirely appropriate to have conversation with your friends that acknowledges that married people have sex. Look, we all, we all know what's happening, right? We all know that that is the case. But giving the details of how, when, and where is not appropriate. And this couple is not sharing that. They're simply sharing metaphorical language about this idea. Uh, and, and they are speaking in ways that are certainly appropriate, although certainly explicit and vulnerable. But they're using language also that is, um, that is respectful. They're also um, obviously not... They're speaking of sex in a way that recognizes that it is something exclusive between the husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And they're not, sharing all, they're not sharing details with their friends just for the titillation of it. They might be sharing appropriate details that are helpful for training and mentoring and teaching and learning from one another but they're not just going about it in a way that is titillating. I hope, I pray, it is our goal that that is the way that we try to speak about sex in these kinds of settings and on the podcast. You're never going to find out what Matt and I did last night, in person or on the podcast. Or even what our preferences are. You'll never know. Our goal is to start the conversations within your marriages. And our goal is to start the conversations within your community. Because when you see each other at church tomorrow, those of you that worship together, there's power in knowing their marriage is working on the same things my marriage is working on. So 
Stop cloaking all sexuality with silence and shame. Start proclaiming it in a holy and right way as God himself did. What are some ways of connecting during the day with my spouse? Because of our jobs, we rarely ever wake up or go to bed at the same time. That is not an uncommon circumstance. That because of whatever life throws at us, it is difficult sometimes for our schedules to align. I mean, I, I don't mean for this to sound callous, but maybe one or both of you needs different jobs, first of all. I mean, sometimes that, the, the most obvious solution to the problem is the last one we often consider. So again, I don't mean that as, a, as callousness, but I just mean maybe there's a way to solve this in a much more profound way than trying to be even more creative than is helpful. And that, that might mean being radical, but prioritizing your marriage often looks <coughs> radical. For sure. That said, that's maybe not a solution for tomorrow. So one other, or at least some other uh, ways to be more connected is, uh, I guess we kind of refer to it jokingly as digital intimacy. There are definitely ways for you to remain connected. For instance, I mean, I have a job, I am very busy all day, extremely, most days I'm very, very busy, I work long days, um, and often I don't have the opportunity to just stop my day and get on the phone and have a chat with my wife for 30 minutes. I get that. Most of you don't either, right? I mean, but what I do have is a little device in my pocket that is continually dinging with input from, in some days more than others, input from my wife about what's been going on today. And sometimes I get the text message that is like three pages long and there's no way for me to get all the details about all the things that the kids did that went wrong and this broke and that's not working and um, my mother called and blah, 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 and all these things. Three pages. Sometimes the best that I can do is scan through that as quick as I can and just send back a heart. I mean... Sometimes that's as good as it gets. But what I can also do in that moment is recognize she's definitely dealing with some stuff. I don't know all the details yet. I'm sure I'm going to hear about them. But what I can do is stop my day and take five seconds and pray for her. And she can know that I am acknowledging what is happening. She can know, or sorry, she can know that I'm acknowledging what is happening. I can know what she is dealing with in that moment. And we can still be connected in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes, my three-page long text will come because when he has just a few seconds, he sends, and, and husbands, this is a powerful text. It's very small, but it's powerful. Doing okay, question mark. And when I get that doing okay, I know, number one, he's thinking about me. Despite the busyness of his day, He took a moment and he's thinking about me. And number two, he cares about how I'm doing today. And so, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, doing great. Sometimes it's, oh boy. (laughs) But it is is that little place of connection. Um, I think another thing I would say is this, this 
idea of we we aren't in the bed at the same time. Uh, we wake up or we get out of bed at the same time. Um, that that may very well be you know you are definitely passing in the night, but. I think we often believe this idea of, uh, you know, I'm a night owl and she's a morning person and so our schedules don't line up and, you know, I sit out in the living room to play on my phone, but she goes to bed early. We would challenge you on that. If you have the option to be in bed together, be in bed together. Go to bed together. Do not, and this may or may not apply to this person, but just as, as a whole audience, do not allow yourself to get into the habit of living separate lives in the evening hours. Especially in the evening hours. You all know the dangers, number one, that are out there when you are completely separated in the nighttime hours. But you are missing moments of connection. Now, I believe that the whole world should go to bed at 9 p.m. <laughs> I don't know what you people are doing at 11 p.m. It's ungodly hours, we should all be asleep. I also believe you should be up by 6 a.m. Why are you not up? <laughs> I am married to the opposite man. And I will tell you, in the beginning of our marriage, we let that divide us. And I spent a lot of times alone, a lot of hours alone in the morning, and he spent a lot of hours alone in the evening until we learned to come together. Now you can guarantee I'm gonna fall asleep before he's gonna fall asleep, but we're beside one another. We might be reading our books and I might conk out after two sentences, <laughs> but we're beside one another. And, and he even learned to get up early enough to sit and have a cup of coffee with me. It's a struggle, man, every morning. <laughs> I know he loves me when he comes and sits down with that cup of coffee. There's not amazing conversation necessarily happening. Not but, for me. <laughs> but there's connection. There's the purposeful, intentional connection of just making sure we are physically in the same place. That's powerful. And, and for this couple, if it's not possible for whatever reason to even go to bed at the same time, then carve out 20 minutes where you do have that you can both be awake and together and make that a priority, make that happen every time that you can. Uh, again, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to consider that, but there certainly are a lot of ways to get connected and stay connected. Have you found that with regards to pursuer and responder, that couples can sometimes be both at different times? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Let me tell you, a young mama is very often going to be a responder no matter what because she's exhausted and little people are touching her all the time. <laughs> and so that might be a time in her life. It, now, it may not be. Then that, That's great if that's not your story. But... Most women, as they get into their 40s, they're, they're less stressed by little people. They also generally have a better understanding of who they are, their body shape, and who they are as a person. That changes things. When you're not battling an internal voice that tells you why you're not enough, 
you're learning to quiet that, that changes your ability to tap into arousal. When you're not exhausted from little people, that changes your ability to tap into arousal. So yeah, you absolutely can have different times of your life when you might feel more of a pursuer or a responder. And so you should know that and embrace that. And you should be having a conversation within your marriage that, that says, where are we today? Where have we been before? Where might we be at some point? And both of you do the work to understand both the pursuer and the responder because you might be different. I mean, as women's interest in sex, sex increases, later, for, for often for men, their interest in sex decreases. Now, I think that's pretty amazing how God made that cycle to happen for most people. But use that together. When healing from sexual trauma within the relationship, would boundaries help or harm the healing process? Um, and then I pull out this question um, because I can speak to this personally. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know my story, I was sexually abused my entire childhood by an extended family member. That abuse caused significant and deep wounds. And while I was able to share that abuse with Matt before our marriage, I was never able to really dig in and understand. And so we lived for a very long time with a marriage that had incredible, painful, open, raw wounds that we were trying to learn how to dance around. It was only after I finally reached a breaking point and recognized the damage I was doing to myself, to my husband, and even to my children in all my relationships, that I finally took the steps to begin healing from my abuse. And that involved a professional counselor that could better help me understand what had happened to me and the, the, the coping mechanisms I had learned because of that abuse. And there were a lot of coping mechanisms that helped me survive as a young child. But those coping mechanisms were what was holding me apart from my husband. And so I had to learn how to identify those and change those. I had to let him inside of the wall that I had built. And in that process, there were definite places where we had to better identify the hurt spots. Because my abuse had happened sexually, there were definitely hurt spots. And I can't ever make those hurt spots totally go away. And there will always have to be places of understanding as we live together with those hurt spots. Places where we just, we just won't go. So there may need to be boundaries. But I will tell you that when you're trying to determine what are boundaries, don't do that alone. Trauma is not healed by time. Time doesn't heal all wounds. 
and you need help. And if nothing else, if I can just provide for you a sense of hope that it can be so much better. I spent way too many years terrified of triggers because I never knew when something was gonna set off horrible, painful memories that I wasn't just remembering, I was reliving. And it was the professional counseling that finally gave me the help to take those places of deep pain and look at them for what they were and then set them aside. I can't make them go away. One day, one day that's coming, those get to go away. But I learned how to face them and heal them as much as God can heal them now. And I also learned that though my wounds happened sexually, the answer wasn't actually that therefore nothing good could happen sexually. The answer was that healing could also happen sexually because when I learned the beauty of sexuality as God intended it for, for me and for my relationship with my beloved, then I could reclaim what was stolen from me and I could take it back and I could be victorious. And so there might need to be places of boundaries, but I'm begging you to seek the right help in establishing what those boundary places might be. Seek it professionally and seek it with your beloved. Do you want to speak to the spouse part of that? Being the, the spouse to um, someone who has suffered that kind of trauma and abuse uh, is certainly not without challenges. Um, because you are uh, inheriting a whole host of problems that you didn't even know you had. And there is just no possible way to, to be prepared for what that's going to mean for your uh, long-term relationship, and in this case, specifically what that's going to mean for your sexual relationship. And the, the difficult part of that is recognizing that in many cases, you are going to be rejected for reasons that you don't understand. That things that seem pretty routine are gonna result in uh, unexplainable responses. And that there are going to be barriers that are in place that you didn't put there and you don't know how to overcome. The, the most important thing for someone who is, I, I guess what they're calling them these days, are co-survivors. So again, that's a spouse who is married to someone who has encountered that kind of trauma. The, the most important thing for a spouse in that circumstance is to 
as much as is in your power to be a safe place. And the more that you can demonstrate that you are trustworthy and demonstrate that you are kind instead of critical, you can, the more that you can demonstrate that you are uh, willing to do the hard work, the more you can demonstrate that you are patient, the more you can demonstrate that you, in fact, uh, are willing to be self-sacrificial, then you can become a safe place where your spouse can feel comfortable to grow. Until your spouse can trust that you are safe, they will not be willing to grow in a, in a sexual way or otherwise, or even emotionally. Uh, until they recognize that you are not going to overwhelm them, that you're not that, they, that their problems are not going to be too much for you. Um, you know, they're, they're just not going to be willing to take those vulnerable steps until they know that it's safe to do that with you. So if your spouse is stuck, it could be a lot on them. It could be a lot on them that because they've been unwilling to deal with what they need to deal with. But be willing to look in the mirror and recognize that even though it's not your problem, it is your problem. And you're covenantly bound to that set of problems. So it, it is up to you then to be the safe place where they can find refuge. And where you can be their redeemer. I appreciate the question. Thanks again for joining us for some leftovers as part of your Memorial Day barbecue. We would certainly love to hear your feedback. How would you have answered these questions? How, uh, what, what maybe did we leave uncovered or mm-hmm. untouched? Uh, we'd certainly love to hear your feedback. Contact us by emailing podcast at intimatecovenant.com or to submit anonymous feedback and questions, go to intimatecovenant.com slash podcast and click the button, contact the podcast for an anonymous submission form. Thanks again to Derek and Open Door Financial Advisors for sponsoring the podcast. Contact Open Door at opendoorfa.com. Thanks to all of you for listening, subscribing, rating, and sharing the podcast. We are truly humbled by all your encouragement and support. And thanks especially to our Patreon subscribers for coming alongside us in a very real way. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash intimate covenant. We love you. Until next time, keep striving. And don't settle.